You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles. I'm Isles Boggs Joe Bono. As we all come to terms with what our new normal is for the next weeks and likely months ahead, we thought we'd offer you a much-needed distraction with some of our favorite Islanders content from previous seasons that many of you are likely hearing for the first time. This week, it's an interview I recorded back in 2015 with longtime Islanders and NHL play-by-play broadcaster Jiggs McDonald on his fascinating Hall of Fame broadcasting career. Here's a hockey life, Jiggs McDonald, Part 2. <laughs> I was blog podcast. Jake McDonald is our guest. So 1982, I'm not sure if many fans either know this or remember, but you actually called a very forgettable 65 and 97 1982 season of Mets baseball on sports channel. <laughs> Had you done baseball before? And what was that like going around to all these different cities, the daily grind of, of a baseball broadcast night after night, after night, day after day, after day, kind of what was that experience? Was it the only period of time where you, you did that much baseball or baseball at all? It was the only season I'd done some, uh, I had done baseball on the, uh, what we called the OBA, the Ontario Baseball Association, which was pretty much a pickup league, but uh, he played for an Ontario championship. And uh, the team that I was covering there in Aurora had uh, had won two while I was uh, uh, with them or with the radio station. And I was also on the executive of the team. That doesn't make me a better broadcaster. But I had done some baseball. I'd listened to a lot of baseball. And in Los Angeles, of course, I was married to Dodger baseball on radio or television. Wherever Vinny was, I seemed to have an ear to it. Um, 
and I'll admit to being a copycat. I just think the world of Vin Scully and the way he approaches uh, a baseball game uh, on radio or television and um, tried to bring some of that. I didn't uh, didn't do all 162 at that time. Sports Channel, I believe, did 60 games. Uh, I do recall being in San Diego one night and the game goes into extra innings and I've got a red-eye flight back to Long Island or back to New York because we've got a playoff game with Pittsburgh, I believe, the next night. Um, made it. Um, it, it it's different. It, the travel is altogether different, Joe. The 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 guys, the, the, the players were so good, uh, and they they knew that I was doing hockey. And several of them, you know, in the morning would say, "I guess uh, you must miss going to the park now. You, you want to go out to the ballpark when there's nobody there." And we'd we'd get into a discussion about the morning skates that hockey goes through, and why would you go and practice and get up a sweat and shower and then go home and eat and, <laughs> and sleep and then go back and play. Whereas they went out and I would say, well, why do you guys go out at three, four o'clock in the afternoon, run the outfield, run the track, get yourself all sweaty and then sit around and wait for the game to start. That doesn't make any sense to me either. But then seeing the ball players in their briefcases and knowing that they had a huge portfolio in those, those briefcases. And at that time we're making a lot more money than any hockey player was making. I thought, well, you know, they're probably doing it right as well. Did you ever think about the idea that both general managers, both Frank Cashin and Bill Torrey just wore bow ties? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did several times. Yeah. And being in the booth with, with Ralph Kiner, uh, being, being around Ralph and, and just, just soaking in his amazing baseball knowledge, uh, it was a wonderful experience. Um, Bob Murphy as well, traveling with the, with that crew was was a great experience. Getting to, to recognize how baseball traveled as compared to hockey at that time, the fact that you showed up at the ballpark, uh, it was getaway day, you were leaving right after the game, you didn't touch a bag, you didn't see your bag, it showed up at, the, at your hotel door um, in the next city, and then as you were leaving that city, the bag in the hall uh, in the afternoon before you went to the ballpark and you'd see it in the next city or you'd see it on the truck uh, in the parking lot at Shea Stadium when we got back. It it was just an altogether um, wake-up call. Well, not a wake-up call, but I guess a, a new outlook on how the pro athlete traveled at that time. Because hockey, uh, no, you carried your own bag. You were responsible for everything, getting to the airport, finding a place to park, uh, getting uh, to the other end, as a rule, getting from the airplane to a hotel. and Yeah, um, it, it was different. It was enjoyable. Lauren Brown, uh, Lauren Brown, Ralph Kiner, and myself were, were the trio in the, the Sports Channel booth, and it, it was a great experience. I, I treasure those moments uh, at that, that time. And like I said before, just, just being around Ralph Kiner, uh, God bless him. Let's talk about the dynasty teams. In today's NHL, you couldn't likely afford to keep a team like that together. Um, what strikes you most all these years later about how special that team and that run, 19 consecutive playoff wins, four straight Stanley Cups, what was most special and unique about that group? The depth of the team, uh, the fact that everybody bought into the program, I don't think at any time there was a – a malcontent in that dressing room. Everybody accepted their role. Uh, they they knew that 
Uh, guys like Bourne, Tonelli, and Gillies seemed to be interchangeable parts with Trotty and Bossy. Uh, they knew that Anders Keller and Butchie were going to get the, the, the brunt of the penalty-killing role. Uh, they knew that if he came down Dave Longevin's side of the ice, uh, he was going to soften up the opponent, or Gordy Lane was going to hack and whack in front of the net and, and soften them up as well that uh, Denny was going to read at the other end and jump in on the play. They, they, they were well-schooled in preparation, preparation for games in April and May. We didn't play into June at that time, but preparation for what happened after the 80 or 82 games of the regular season were finished. And I give a lot of the credit to the training staff. Ron Waskey had come out of St. Lawrence University after his years with the Islanders, went back to St. Lawrence as a, as a trainer. But he had developed this program of testing the individual, the player, at training camp, testing again early January, and there better be a certain degree of increase in stamina and strength and, and all of that good stuff. And then he tested again, uh, I believe it was the first week in March. And if you weren't ready, if you hadn't reached a certain level uh, in your in your fitness program, then he was on you, and he drove them. He drove the guys to the point where they were ready. They were in top physical shape first week in April, ready to go. Uh, the other thing was that anything in the way of team activity, uh, personal appearances, team functions, were shut down early March. There were no more team activities. You got yourself focused on finishing strong and going into the playoffs loaded for bear, ready to go. It um, it was a team that would let you set the standard or the level of play. If you wanted to play a speed game, they would match you and beat you at it. If you wanted to play a grind it out, if you wanted to play a physical game, uh, if you wanted to try to be nasty or fisticuffs with them, they would beat you at that. They had they had the best balanced team or teams that I have ever ever experienced. They talk about Montreal and how good the Canadians were. Uh, the game was a little different back in that era. The Canadians' uh, Stanley Cup wins. Certainly the game has changed from the Islander uh, Stanley Cup dynasty years or even when Edmonton was, was winning their Stanley Cups. Uh, the game has changed dramatically. And then factor in, Joe, and I, and I think you were touching on this, the salary cap, uh, you wouldn't be able to keep that team together in today's age. Uh, I don't think I don't think you could find 20 players who uh, would be content to stay together as long as that team was, at and stay under the salary cap or within the salary cap. I remember uh, a dinner the Canadian Club in New York City were honoring Mike Bossy, and Boss Boss made a, an excellent speech, but he. He stated he he told the audience how much he had made his last year, and I see Denny pop, and I just out of the corner of my eye I see Denny lean forward at the table <laughs> that he's at, looking at Bill Torrey, and Bill is grimacing. Bill is just oh, Bill is is starting to turn red, and he he finally turned and looked at Dennis and just just nodded his head, because Dennis had been assured that he was the highest paid, would always be the highest paid New York Islander, and here was Boss making something like $50,000 more than Denny. All, or had made. They, they, of course, they weren't playing at this time. This was after they had retired. But, oh, Denny, Denny was all over Bill after that. But, oh, it was, uh, 
it was a far different era as far as uh, the way they travel, uh, the, the numbers on the paychecks and things of that nature. And I, I just don't think you could keep a team together long enough to win 19 consecutive series. When you look back at the moments in the booth, which one or two kind of took your breath away as an announcer where that moment of disbelief sets in? Was it the Tonelli goal to extend the winning streak to 15 straight games? Was it the comeback against Pittsburgh, um, bossy 50 and 50? What moment that kind of transcended broadcaster to fan to, I just can't believe what I was able to call. Uh, all of those, the, the Bob Bourne end-to-end from back of his own net, stick handling through and scoring at the other end. Uh, it was just a magnificent piece of, of skating and speed, puck handling. Um, the overtime goal against the Rangers, um, Kenny Morrow, I believe, from the blue line, uh, did, did Sutter tip it in front? I kind of think he did. Even to this day, the replay is, is inconclusive. <laughs> But it was a great moment, that Pittsburgh one. Eddie and I were talking about that today. Uh, how about, you know, a cakewalk. Uh, they beat Pittsburgh soundly the first two games on Long Island. We go into Pittsburgh and lose in overtime. We 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 were packed. Everybody was walking across the street to the Civic Arena. They had checked out of the hotel. We've got our, our bags, our suitcases, because we're going back to Long Island. Uh, going to sweep this series. No, there's no question about this. Well, if that, and uh, several of the Penguins were driving into the parking lot and saw the guys, saw us, you know, going to the to the game, and maybe that was a motivating factor. But they win it in overtime. We stay over and game four the next night and got beaten soundly, soundly. Now we come back to Long Island. We're tied two-two and we're down by two goals, or the team is down by two in the third period. Oh, oh, boy, and late in the third period, and they get it tied up, and I think it was Mike Bullard had the opportunity, had Smitty beaten, had him, oh, he had Smitty out to lunch, and the puck doesn't go in, and the play goes the other direction a few minutes later, and uh, bang, the Islanders score, and on to the next round, he just went, oh, my Lord, what did I just see? What a comeback. Um and I wasn't aware of this until, I guess, a recent trip. Butch was telling me. Butch, he was saying that Hockey Night in Canada had cut to the Islander game. Here were the Stanley Cup champions on the verge of being eliminated and out, and they had left whatever game they were covering in Canada and had joined uh, the Islander telecast that night. And I said, whoa, I had no idea. But, yeah, they were that close to being gone, and, uh, and four wouldn't be talked about right now, would it? And then, in, you know, the Islanders obviously have the Easter epic with Pat LaFontaine, but that 92-93 year kind of was very unexpected and remains a very special group in part because the team hasn't won a playoff series since. How was that, diff- how was that run different for you and Eddie calling that team? How was that run different for you guys? And in some ways, even though it didn't end up in a cup, is it one of your more enjoyable seasons? It really was. Yeah, that, that was a, a bit of a season of adversity the Pierre uh, thing in the series against Washington. I'll I'll tell you a quick story there. Um, We go to Pittsburgh then for the next round, flying commercial. We're at the airport. We're sitting at the LaGuardia waiting for the flight to Pittsburgh. And I walked up to Al and said, uh, you know, too bad about Pierre. Well, yeah, those those things happen. I said, well, 
just let, let, let's say, for instance, the commissioner said to you, you could pick any player off the Washington Capitals team to take Pierre's place. You're entitled to, to take a player from the team you just eliminated. Who would you want? He just looked at me. He said, Hunter, Dale Hunter. <laughs> what? He just got rid of Pierre. But he wants to win. He would do anything to win, Jiggs. That's the kind of guy you'd want. But wow. Wow, Al, yeah, okay, you're right. Um, that team, well, I, I think, well, I don't know how many would know that David Volick uh, wasn't Al's favorite player that year. David uh, David wanted to play a European style, wanted to play the way he had been trained and coached overseas, uh, even though he'd been with the Islanders a couple of seasons, a few seasons by then. Uh, he, he just went against Al's grain, and uh, because of injury, and certainly Pierre being out, uh, you have to play David Volick, and David comes through with that overtime goal. But it was a team that, that built from the back end out. You, you've got Glenn Healy chirping and carrying on back there and, and playing well, really playing well. You've got Ray Ferraro who is uh, chirping. You've got Stevie Thomas. You've got so many guys who who just brought a certain element. It it wasn't the same kind of thing as a Trache Bossy Gillies or a Pop Van, uh, Stefan Persson or whoever back there. But it was a special group of guys, guys that liked one another, uh, got along well uh, eventually. Not, not at the outset, not at the beginning of the season, but that room, that room came together, and they just had this, this feeling after the Washington series that they were going to give Pittsburgh all they could handle, and they did. Uh, I think of Richie Pilon. I think of some of the huge hits, uh, some of the things that. <laughs> that went on would, would probably end up, <laughs> yeah. Or Doy Darius said things things would would end up in suspensions probably in today's game, but uh, yeah, they, uh, they they were just a fun bunch. And then of course coming out of that had to go right into Montreal for the next round. And uh, the Canadians had that team that just didn't lose. You could get them to overtime, but uh, you might as well say <laughs> not tonight because they they just won every overtime game that that came down the pike. It it was uh, it was splendid, and you you mentioned the the Easter Classic in Washington. Uh, we got back, or the team, everybody got back to Long Island. I think it was around six thirty seven a.m. Uh, Easter Sunday morning, and left again about five o'clock that afternoon to go to Philadelphia to start the next round of the following day. The, these things just don't happen the way the league is structured now. Whether it's television that dictates or whatever, Joe. You would get two or three, four days after that series in order to get kind of rested and ready to play again. Uh, back there, there was an era where every building was told every any any building and where a team played that uh, was a potential playoff team. You do not book any concerts or any other events in that building until your team has been eliminated. Uh, now you say, oh well, we can't play on this particular date because Lady Gaga is here or. The, some <laughs> tractor pull is here. Or something else is going to be on in the building. Can't have a hockey game Friday night. Oh, Saturday's booked for a concert. Oh, can't play till next Tuesday. Uh, it, it's an altogether different era now. We'll have more of our interview with Jake McDonald in a moment. You're listening to PT Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. couple more questions for Jiggs McDonald. When you, quote, retired, how soon after did you find yourself wanting to call games again, that that pull was there? And does it feel any different when you're in the booth now from when you were calling games on a nightly basis when you finally kind of get into the groove after uh, a few minutes or hours? Uh, yes, it does. And it, I'll get to that. Um, retirement came along. It was my decision. I could see the, the big freight train coming down the track in the form of a lockout. I think uh, anybody that was close to the game recognized that there was such a chasm between uh, players and owners and the direction that they were going, that there wouldn't be hockey. If there was to be hockey in, in uh, 84, 85, it wouldn't be too late. And once we got a little closer to the end of the 83, 84 season, I said, you know what, my contract was up uh, with the Panthers, and I, I just felt that I, I didn't need to sit around wondering if I was going to go back to work again. This would be a perfect time to cut that cord. There'd be a year in all likelihood without any hockey, and I could make that separation, find other things to do and hobbies and whatnot, and, uh, and wouldn't, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be looking forward to doing games or thinking that I was missing games when the league fired up again. Well, it sounded good. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't make it work. Um, in the fall of uh, 2000, of, uh, of 19, of 2005, rather, I'm with the three other guys. We're playing golf in Prince Edward Island or on Prince Edward Island. They're having a, a great time, and I get a call from Madison Square Garden Network. The Mets have made the playoffs. They're going to be playing the Cardinals in the opening round of the NCLS or NLCS, I should say. Um, and they needed somebody to get the season started. Would I be available? And I thought, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, and I, I run to my mind. Well, I know I got it. We opened in Phoenix and that was the year that Billy Jaffe joined the broadcast team. So you've got me back and you've got a, a new analyst and we go into Phoenix. We went, I believe San Jose, LA, Anaheim, home, home for several games. Uh, I think it was seven seven games maybe uh, before Howie was available after the, the Mets had been eliminated. Um, now we're, we're coming into uh, uh, an Olympic year, and the Panthers in their television booth was Dave Strader, and Dave was also doing NBC, and he was going to miss a few games. Could I Could I fill in there? Yeah, went and did that. Now we fast forward <laughs> to the end of the hockey season and the start of baseball, and the Islanders uh, were having one of those years and not going to be in the playoffs and baseball starting, and Howie said, well, why don't you bring Jiggs back? Yeah, okay. Uh, he went to baseball. Jiggs came back and did a, a few more games. Uh, I guess everybody was, was happy with it, and uh, going into the next season, uh, Madison Square Garden Network asked again if I would like to do some games, and I said, sure, whatever, you know, Howie feels he has to miss. I think Howie had um, 
I think his oldest daughter had uh, parents' weekend. They called about that, and then they called with a, with a few more games, and again uh, at the end of the season. And eventually, uh, Howie, God bless Howie, he, he's kept he's kept me away from having a fixed income. <laughs> Joe, he uh, <laughs> uh, when when he negotiated his his contract, then he he said, "Now you know, with baseball and everything else." I'll be, I do 70 of the 82 games. And they said, okay, and how he gets to pick the ones that he misses. And um, to this point, I've enjoyed enjoyed doing it. Yeah, I know when the schedule comes out, I take a look at it and say, oh, no, not Winnipeg in January. Edmonton, Calgary in January. Howie. But uh, it, it, it's fun. <laughs> it, it keeps me young. And to, to come full circle asking about the difference in the booth, it um, – it's more work now than it used to be when you're in the booth all 82 games and you're right up to date on who, what, and where, what's going on with all the other teams, the other 29 teams. You know about trades, you know about uh, call-ups, send-downs, injuries. You're you're right on top of things. Um, in my case, uh, I'm coming back in. Yeah, I, I watch games. I watch. I probably watch as, as many. I, I maybe miss three, four maximum four games islander games that i i don't see on tv uh here uh and now in preparation for going into say my next run is dallas and nashville uh I'll, in the next day or two i'll start to watch games that that those two teams are playing just to get a feel for the lines lines and pronunciations uh their power play their their, their combinations on uh, on defense who um Who's in the doghouse? Who who's hurt? Who's whatever? Just just getting up to speed on the other team, and at the same time, uh, staying up to speed on what the Islanders are doing and and their lines or any changes or injuries and that kind of thing. It uh, uh, preparation. I was just telling some people earlier this evening about uh, what a day is like day of game game day and and even the the travel uh, the day before and traveling right after the game. That's that's different than it used to be. But I, I find it, it takes takes longer to get up to speed and prepared for a telecast now than it used to. But but that's fun. That that's that's part of it. You, you know that uh, again. I go back to inform and entertain. And uh, working with Butchie has been. I mean, I I was there the day Butch signed his first or came to training camp for the very first time at the NHL level, and also when he signed his contract and was around when he broke into the NHL. So we we have a history as well. Um, I, I think if one or the other were to ever ante up uh, on all the things we could tell about one another, it, it would be a long book or a, an unbelievable X-rated movie, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, um, it, you know it's what, James, been fun. What I think I, you should do. What I think you should do, since the Islanders look like they're going definitely to the playoffs this season, you should fill in for Howie and do some <laughs> Mets baseball on WR. <laughs> Oh, wouldn't that be strange? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think we can sell that one, Joe, but uh, uh, no, no, I don't think so. Finally, Jiggs, just your general thoughts on what a special season it has been for the Islanders so far. Obviously, the final season at the Coliseum, uh, bittersweet is the word that kind of comes to mind when I think about it. And even though it's been such a great send-off, what's your thoughts about this being the final year and really the last arena of its kind Coliseum of its kind in the NHL before the Islanders of course moved to Brooklyn next season. 
it's tough to accept. It's difficult to accept that uh, any of the plans that Charles Wong put in front of the, the Nassau County officials uh, weren't met with approval. Uh, yeah, maybe grandiose plans to begin with, but you start at the top and, and work your way down. You negotiate maybe a story or two less than the apartments that he wanted or cut down the size a little bit, but it, it could be made to work, in my opinion. Uh, why why the county, why the, the populace didn't, didn't take to it is beyond me. <clears throat> I, I, think, I think they'll live to regret this, although uh, a lot of people, too, feel that uh, the day will come, that the team will return to Long Island. It, it is bittersweet, as you said. It, it's just it's going to be an altogether different uh, situation for people, especially from Suffolk County, uh, making that trip to Brooklyn, yeah, Nassau as well. You won't have the the ability right now, as I understand it anyway, to to tailgate in a parking lot. Uh, you're going to probably, in all likelihood, be traveling by train. It's just going to be a whole different thing. Although the team is, is going to be continue to be based on Long Island, be similar to the Jets situation in that respect. Uh, they'll practice there and play the games at, at Barclays. Uh, the arena is maybe the most conducive for hockey with the sight lines in some areas and the scoreboard being where it is, but they'll make it work. Um, for the team to be as competitive and, and where they are in the standings right now and to have played the style, the entertaining style, the up, the up-tempo style of hockey that they have, um, the thing, things are, are really beginning to fall into place. And this is why when you look at the, at the entry draft, don't project the player being on the team that immediate season, unless you get a, a guy of the talent of John Tavares um, or Stephen Stamkos with Tampa, the, these guys only come along so often uh, and very rare gems. But you take uh, uh, Del Cole, uh, Michael Del Cole, I believe it is, uh, their top draft pick last year. Uh, he is in all likelihood destined to play the left side with Tavares and, and Oposo at some point. Uh, just be patient. He's coming along, but the patience has shown with uh, with the guys they left in college, like a Brock Nelson. Uh, the, the way that Ryan Strom went to the American League, learned the craft a little better, and uh, has come up. But the the key is the weekend before this season started. Well, no, let, let me let me go back. I, I've got to give Garth so much credit. It all starts with the goaltender, and I've said this many many times. Uh, on different broadcasts, playoff time, it's all about your goaltender. It's It starts there. You have to have that guy, and right now they've got that guy. Yaroslav Halak is playing the way he did with the Montreal Canadiens before they decided to keep Carey Price and move Yaro elsewhere. Uh, he is He's top-notch. The addition of um, Nikolai Kuhlman and... Uh, and Grabowski has really given them the depth that they they lacked on well now of course you've got one or the other playing up on the top line because of injury but it it's given them the second and third line depth that they haven't had the the addition of Cal Clutterbuck putting him together with um, with Matty Martin and Casey Sezikas that that line has drawn all kinds of attention up north hockey night in Canada there's Don Cherry talking about them being the, the best fourth line in hockey right now, and they are. They they just come at you with all kinds of energy. And then, to top it off, that Saturday before the season started, 
when the chatter started that, oh, they're going to get Nick Letty, oh, they're going to get Johnny Boychuk, one or the other, oh, oh, they got both. And you say, you got who? For what? When you didn't give up a guy from your roster and you get a guy like Boychuk and you put a guy like Nick Letty into your lineup, wow, what a piece of business. I think all... All the other 29 GMs are going to be searching to see who's got, if they've got any cap space at all, they're going to be looking at the teams that don't have any cap space, that are going to have to move somebody just the way Garth picked up two, two prized individuals who have really fit into the room. And this is another area that I know can be of concern to fans and especially to a general manager and coach. Are they disgruntled? Are they coming in with a chip on their shoulder? Are they going to be a problem in the room? These guys weren't none of them. Of course, you've got the two that signed as free agents, the Coleman and Grabowski situation, and uh, and Yarrow as well. But that deal that brought Boychuk and Letty, and these guys have, have stepped into that dressing room and provided not only the dressing room but on the ice as well, has provided everything that they have. What a coup. What a great job Yarth did in that. Well, Jig, you've been very generous with your time. We look forward to watching and listening to you on the Islanders road trip in Dallas and Nashville. Your love for hockey and love for the Islanders comes through in this interview and every time that you're on the TV. Uh, we appreciate it here, and uh, best of luck. We look forward to seeing you again real soon. Joe, I appreciate it. Thanks for this opportunity. I've enjoyed chatting with you.